Okay, my uh, plane doesn't take off till 6 a.m., so I have that much time. <laughs> Somebody said you got to start with the humor a little bit, you know, so I thought I would try that. My daughter does warn me with that because I have been trying, I have dad jokes since I was not even a dad, but my 34-year-old daughter likes to say, Dad, if you have to explain it, it's really not that funny, but I keep trying. If, uh, if I get kicked out of ministry because I do something stupid, which I can do easily, then I can go do stand-up. What do you think? <clears throat> I was, uh, I've been really wrestling with the Lord because Christmas is one of those seasons that we all enjoy, and it's actually one of my favorite holidays because you just get to put away all the craziness. And it seems like usually around Christmas, all the different nations that I'm involved in, they kind of get a little bit quieter than normal. I mean, they're never quiet, but they get a little bit quieter. Well, this year, it's not that way. Everywhere in the world, it's pretty heated up. And, and so I was sitting there. I kind of was caught up in the fact that I'm up all night taking phone calls, and I'm a little bit heavy and a little bit tired, and my, you know, my neurology is not working right now because I think I'm a little bit sleep-deprived. And then as I was staring out that window and I was looking at this and I was hearing scripture and all the beauty, isn't God just so cool? I don't know if any of you guys are going through some really heavy fires, but what the Lord reminded me of is that in, even in the midst of the fire, he still gives us a bit of heaven. And, and, and I know that in emotions, when I have been just so overwhelmed with what's going on, it's easy for me to focus on everything that's wrong instead of realizing that the promises for all mankind is that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. But there have been times that I've had tears running down my face, and I, yet I get to see the, 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 the majesty of a sunset on a place that most people won't. And I want to encourage us today. Today is going to be a tough day. I'm going to talk about some things that it's, it's not going to be this warm, cozy, feel-good kind of Christmas message, but it really is. Because the beauty in which we all enjoy this for is the exact reason why we're here. Because if it weren't for Jesus' just precious birth, and we all love children, if you don't love children, there's something wrong with you. I'm just saying that out publicly. Sorry about that. Because even me, you know, I don't have a lot of time, but whenever I see a child, it's just like I just want to grab them. They're just so innocent, unless they cry too much. They're just so innocent, and I just, I just love that. But this is about a child, but this child grew up, and he did something that's really remarkable. And see, the other part of the story is that he suffered and died, and he rose again, and body of Christ with all the struggles you're about to hear today, I pray that you'll remember not only was he born, but he's promising to come back again to take us home. And in our suffering, even people I've seen suffering and the worst suffering on their deathbed, even for days, that, that agonizing suffering because of something that happened to them, eventually that suffering ends and then they enter into this amazing rest and this amazing peace. And that's what this is all about. And as I talk to you about Afghanistan today, I just want you to remember that this is painful, but there's also beauty. And body of Christ, write this on your mirrors. Get, if you're going to get a tattoo and you're, you're living through mid-age crisis, get one that reminds us about the goodness of God every day. Because when it gets a little bit crazy, we've got to remember that we win. And that's the most important truth is as believers, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what happens to me, we win. That is absolutely promised. I'm looking for other outcomes in my life, and I don't know about you if you ever set goals because the Lord's putting something on you, and, and you start out on that, that, that path, and you're not sure what's really going to happen. It has all kinds of ups and downs, and it never ends up the way you really expected it. But there is one promise, and this is about God's promises. Though man be a liar, God will be proven true, and we win. It's the only thing that I know that I know that I know that I know is one day I'll stand in the presence of God, and all this pain is going to somehow make sense. 
And because it's going to make sense, I am driven to understand what Scripture says. And Scripture has really encouraged me to encourage you today is that we are to not just be consumers of the Word. I was that way for a few years of my life. I just consumed the Word. I could get into conversations with anybody, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's really important. I need to be a good warrior. But there's a difference between talking about the Word and actually walking it out in a way that actually shows that you know what you're talking about or you've experienced that. In, in my greatest pains that I have ever gone through, I said this to the men yesterday, in my greatest pains that I've ever gone through, in the midst of those pains, I, I, wish I, I wish I could just take my toys and go home. I wish I could just turn off the light and not have to turn it back on. I wish I could hide under my blanket and not have to pull it over my head. But what I know is that after I get through those storms and when I reflect back, although I may not want to ever go through that again or want any of you to suffer some of the things I've had, those are the greatest moments of growth in my life. Yesterday, we challenged the men about resistance. We need resistance in our life to grow. If you don't have resistance, if it isn't hard, if it isn't a struggle, if it isn't bigger than your faith, if it isn't, if it isn't ginormous, you're never going to be able to experience the fullness of God that he wants us to. And I just, I pray this message this morning will release some of you to, to seek after God's fullness in such a radical way. I'm going to tell you something. It's probably different in Canada, but you know, in America, we honestly don't need another church service. Now, that sounds sacrilegious, but play with me. Me a little bit, especially in Calvary Chapel. I've been around Calvary Chapel since 1985. I've been through Genesis to Revelation in church uh, more times than I can count. I've, re- I've consistently for over 20 years have read through the Bible at least once a year, if it's not twice, and I've even done it more than that. It's not a lack of knowledge we have. In fact, if your pastor didn't teach you from Genesis to Revelation, you could just grab your phone and go on the internet, and there's such amazing teaching out there that you could not exhaust it if you listened to amazing teaching all day long. You could not exhaust it at all. There's just so much great stuff there. But the church is really weak right now. We've never had more knowledge. And I think that it comes down to is that differentiation between knowledge and experience. And I I don't want any of you to go through a fire, but if God will put you through a fire that's orchestrated by him, I promise that if you will trust him, if you will cling to him, even with your tears running down your face, he will make you more like him and he will make you more prepared for ministry. I'm a professional speaker, whatever that means. I don't get that, especially this morning, because I I, I never wanted to speak in front of people. I never, that wasn't my, I didn't raise my hand as a kid and say, I want, how many in here would like to speak in front of people? It's one of the greatest fears that most men deal with. It's one of those natural fears. But yet God has me do this. Why? So I trust him and cling to him. And as I trust and cling to him on something that's not natural for me, I get to see his glory show up. I've never had this happen, but even this morning, you can see that. I'm, I'm, I'm lacking sleep. I'm in a place of weakness, but I want to encourage you too, body of Christ. It's not by might, and you're going to hear some crazy stuff today, and I want you to remember it's always about Christ and his spirit, him going before us, and it is never about might. It is never about power. It is always about his spirit, saith the Lord. And may we cling to him for everything we have unashamedly. In the world, they don't want you to, they don't want to reveal their weakness because weakness is weakness. But before Christ, the greatest thing we can ever do, and that includes in the areas that we are still under bondage as Christians, is to confess that weakness before a living God because he already knows about it. And when we can get it out into the open, as I told the men yesterday, then the S-O-N, the Son, has the ability to, to get in there and heal that. 
I am with a ministry called Far-Reaching Ministries, and the Lord has placed us in some of the most extreme places on the planet. Most of uh, Calvary knows us for our work. We've been over there for over 25 years, and that is in South Sudan. We, we started there. It was actually the second country that we started in, but it, it, we're most known for what was happening there. And, and how we got involved in that, don't ever downplay God's calling on your life. And I don't have a moment to really refine that, but don't downplay God's calling or his experience on your life because he wants to use it. And he wants to use your experience different than he wants to use my experience. Because if you had my experience, then we can only present the gospel to a certain group of people. But God so loved the world that he gave you all different parts of this body. And he gave you a different voice and he gave you different uh, understandings. And was when, as we come together, individually, I do not have all the answers. But collectively, when I'm around my brothers and sisters that have Christ's spirit, we have the fullness of gospel because God is going to give us different gifts to, to, to complete this. But in South Sudan, we got involved because of Wes's background as a Marine. Uh, he, he just Before Christ, uh, he just wanted to go in and kill people. That was this whole thing. He was driven. He was angry. And, and then after the, after the Marines, he was going to actually go and become a, uh, a hitman. He was going to become a mercenary and go sell himself for money. And Christ got a hold of him and still took that warrior attitude, but then did it for something better, which is the kingdom of heaven, bringing, instead of violence into places, bringing the peace of Christ into these most dangerous places. In South Sudan, we got involved in a war that we didn't anticipate, but we had to. It was the north coming down, predominantly the uh, Arab north came down, and they wanted to force by gun, um, the South, which is predominantly uh, black Africans, wanted to force them to convert to Islam under a very strict form of Sharia law. Well, the South, or the black Africa, had, has already experienced Christ because missionaries have been going over there since Britain it was part of the Britain, British Empire. And they wanted to stay aligned with Christianity, and so they, they rebelled against what was happening. And, and in that time in which we've served there, two and a half million people have been killed. Uh, and it's not just military against military, and this is what I'm going to spend more time on here, because it's really about the innocent and the defenseless that the Lord has called us into. But out of those millions of people, the vast majority of those were actually women and children and elderly. And the Bible is very clear as, as men, at least for what God has put in my life, is that when people are suffering, even if it requires my own life, as that is the greatest expression of love, is to stand between the enemy and those that are in peril. And if I can only save one more life, I know I'm glorifying my God. And some of you, that, that story is for your home. You are the man who is standing between the enemy and your family. And what God is expecting, even if it destroys your life, is for you to stand there in a position so that your families can maybe get to safety. We have been called to a lot more than just sitting around or, or pursuing our own, our own freedoms in America. I get a little bit frustrated with this. We talk about freedom all the time, and, and if, I used to do that too, and I'm thankful for that freedom. <clears throat> but that freedom doesn't identify me. I am a child of the living king, and so are you. What I am is I don't represent America. I'm thankful that I get to be there. I could have been born in another country. I could have been born in, 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 in a, gr a grand degree of no freedom. I am an ambassador, and so are you, of the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere we put our foot, we are an ambassador. Imagine if Biden or even Trump had called anybody in here and said, hey, I need you to be a U.S. ambassador to Russia or to, to Great Britain. I mean, that is an honorable position. You're representing the interests of the United States into these countries, some of them hostile, some of them friendly. We are representing the eternal kingdom of a living God 
to a very broken and dark world. And I am praying that we will remember that and we will quit getting into verbal altercations because of our freedom. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I, I didn't get kicked out yesterday. I travel a lot. I put on three to 400,000 miles a year. I'm in a hotel room on a, on a slow year, even during COVID, at least 100 nights a year and sometimes up to 200 plus in different hotel rooms all over. I, sometimes I even forget what my own, my own bed feels like. That's just the way it is. But because of that, I have to wear a lot of these. And I know that some of you don't like these, but I can tell you because I have experience with them, when you have to wear one of these for 16 hours on an airplane, it's horrible. Your nose is plugged, it's just terrible, the little cotton fibers, I don't know what it is, I just absolutely hate it. But the difference between me and the rest, and maybe some of my brothers, is just the clarity that God gave me. Here's my reality, is that I will wear this mask every single minute of every single day of the rest of my life if it will bring people to Jesus Christ. I am not going to stand up before people and say, I am I'm not wearing this mask, I don't care what you say. I have the freedom to say that, but I represent Christ. And I don't know about this, but if I stood up here, I have a feeling I know where most of you are politically, what, what side, whether conservative or liberal. But if I took the opposite side up here and I started to attack some of your beliefs, and then I wanted to tell you that Jesus loves you, how many would be interested? You will never win anybody to the Lord with a baseball bat. You win people to the Lord because the Holy Spirit's moving and because you represent the absolute love affair that God has with his creation. We were made, including you and everybody that's our enemy, our, our enemy, was made in the very image of the living God. And what God wants to do during this time is to restore them to that original fellowship over the rest of their life. We reflect God's plan for everybody we run into. In South Sudan, in the midst of all that, we were reflecting Christ in some of the greatest suffering. And what we got to see in the greatest suffering, that the people that had incredible trauma have become some of the most amazing witnesses of the love of God. When you walk in and you meet women who have had their, just because they wouldn't align with Christianity, they have been violated so many times, or they had their lips cut off, or their breasts cut off, or their ears cut off, or their fingers cut off, or children that you, and we've run into hundreds, we take care of them. A lot of them have grown up now, and that trauma is just not easy. But they were forced at the height of this time to actually kill their parents or actually be killed themselves by the enemy. And when you deal with a child that had to kill their own parents out of that incredible fear of being threatened that they were going to be killed or their children, I'm going to tell you something. You just don't walk up with a glass of water and say, Jesus, loves you and walk away. You've got to be committed to walk with them as long as it takes for you to see that the Holy Spirit takes life into their life so that they can actually walk a life that isn't broken. Some of you have been traumatized in life and some of you have just buried it. And wouldn't it be the most amazing thing if we could get that trauma out and just put it onto the Lord and truly see healing? Well, that's what we know we bring to a world. This world is traumatized apart from Christ. And we bring the love of Jesus to help people become alive. That is what our, our mission is. And it wasn't by accident you're up here. I'll get into that in a moment. I'm going to get ahead of, too far ahead of my message, and then I'll have to jump around like I did yesterday. In 1998, we became the official training arm for the SPLA, which is the Southern Army. Uh, we were written into their constitution. You have no idea what God can do if you just show up. 
We have uh, trained and deployed over 500 chaplains, 550 now, and these are really Calvary Chapel pastors, and they're all embedded in frontline combat units. Because just in South Sudan alone, because of the war we've been embedded in, last week, we, I, I would have told you if I were here last week that we had 69 of our team members that have been killed in the service of the Lord. Unfortunately, we had another one killed last week, so it takes the number to 70. We've had 70 of our, our brothers die in the service of the Lord protecting and defending the innocent, as well as trying to bring the gospel to the most violent, one of the most violent nations on the planet. These are, they, we went there to serve them, and their faith is so strong that they actually inspire me now. In the first 15 years of ministry, we had 16 of our team members killed. That was really hard. These are our brothers. These are not just names. It's, it's like you. You, my brother, my sister, and I'm part of this church, and, and we sup together, and we read the word together, and we lay hands on each other. We do ministry, and then you go out to serve Jesus, and you're killed for it. And, and I got to tell you, it brings a hardship on us every time one of our brothers, we know we're going to see him in heaven, but God gave us a love for each other. I believe it is okay. Even Jesus wept, right, over the over. Lazarus in the very beginning, and there's different interpretations of that, but I think that it would be natural if my brother, I heard that he was taken home to heaven, I'm going to miss that, but I'm also going to rejoice in the fact that one day I get to be with him again, but these are my brothers, and it's, it, it really does take a toll on you. I can promise you this, even though what I'm about to talk about seems really cool and exciting and, and all that fun stuff, if you are human, if you're sensitive, if you love Jesus, you get tired of war. You get tired of death. And please be praying for us because we know these numbers are going to continue to increase. This is going to sound a little bit funny and it's tongue-in-cheek, but we're even ready to come into America when the laws change so much that we may have to protect Americans. Who knows? You know, I'm, just, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but we just realize that the world is really turning upside down. And this isn't a time for us to retreat. This is a time for us to shine brighter than ever. And I just want to encourage you of that. Our work in South Sudan, another thing too, is never, never look down on a boring day. Never look down on a chance encounter because you have no idea what God wants to do. Because of our work in South Sudan, we just naturally attracted uh, Christians who were former special forces or came out of the agency or the bureau. Uh, you know, a lot of people that were pretty high up in government, we just met them. They, they wanted to go over there. And some people we couldn't take because, you know, we're not looking for men who want to go and use weapons in these countries. We're looking for men who are not afraid when they hear the, 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 the bullet go off or the bomb blast. It takes years to, of training to not run from that. That's a natural thing to run from that. We need people that are willing to move towards the sound of that because we've got to bring the gospel in where people are dying. But those relationships, all these years later, never even put this together. When Afghanistan exploded, uh, we had people ready to jump in and be able to do things that other ministries and other organizations were not able to do. And I'll share with that a little bit later. As of last week, we are now in, from South Sudan, we are now in 35 different countries. Nine of, uh, nine of the countries we're in are in the U.S. State Department's 10 most dangerous Islamic countries. So please be praying for us. As a pastor, as a Calvary pastor, I, I, at me, a Calvary pastor, I have the most unique title that you'll ever hear for somebody in a Calvary chapel. My, my title is I'm Director of Ghost Operations. And that is just a fancy, funny word because we are, you know, we go into hot zones. But as a director of ghost operations, I am responsible to bring the love of Christ. I am responsible to bring your love into the most dangerous places. I am responsible for hundreds of underground pastors this morning that are in some of the toughest places as well as ministry workers. Um, if, if people are running from a country, 
most likely we're now in the process of running to that. And that doesn't make us brave. That just happens to be our call. We have a different call than other people. Your call, maybe it's different, but it's no less important in the kingdom of heaven. Because God loves, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. And for God so loved Afghanistan and Syria and South Sudan that he sent us. But God loves this area so much that he sent you. He did not call you to South Sudan or Afghanistan. Maybe one or two of you will go with me at some point, who knows? But God loves this community and he wants for whatever season you're here to be focused on bringing the love and the light into this community, even when they want nothing to do with your Christ. And even when they want nothing to do with your politics, if we will just love on them with the same relentless love that Christ showed me, that while I was his enemy, while I was dead, so I was dead and an enemy, I had no understanding of God's love. I couldn't even comprehend it. While I was those, Christ died for me. And then he revealed a son to me. And if God will do that for me, God wants to do that for everybody else in the world because the only hope for mankind is the Spirit of God to give us clarity about how to walk out our life as the days get dark. I want to read some scripture this morning. If, uh, if you guys will get ready, I'm going to do it in about a minute from now, but I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 19. I've been stuck on this uh, scripture for about six months now. Um, although my message changes a little bit, uh, I've been really stuck here because I think the Lord wants some wrestling in here. So we'll read out of Luke chapter uh, 19. Before Afghanistan hit, if South Sudan wasn't enough to keep, keep us busy, um, gosh, that was enough to keep us busy, right? With all the deaths and all the things that we're doing. I was also dealing with Syria. I've been dealing with that for years. If any of you have watched any of the Netflix things on, on Syria, like the White Hats, The Last Man in uh, Aleppo, and things like that, it's a pretty tough situation. Well, when the well, war started there, when, they, when the bombing started there, we had already had 12 underground pastors there, 12 underground ministry workers, plus their families. And they got together, and it makes sense because everything was exploding, and the, the Christians have been targeted in Sudan or Syria for years. I mean, it's been war between the different factions, but they've all everybody comes together and targets Christians. And so they got together and said, hey, you know, it is okay if we need to leave because even Scripture says that when that persecution came, it scattered the church, and we know that God can use us as we scatter. In fact, if there wasn't persecution in, in Israel in the very beginning, we may not have the gospel. They may have just created a local church and let it grow really big, but it was the persecution. The enemy thought he was bringing something to destroy the church, and God was using that to send us out. And now here in Canada today, we have the message of the gospel because persecution sent the body of Christ out. And missions became something really important. But Syria uh, was, was a tough place for us. And they got together and they were going to pray and fast for one week about leaving the country, sneaking out over the border. And when they got back together a week later, that group had grown from 12 people that we were supporting, that 25 pastors and ministry workers raised their hand and say, we will stay, we will live, and we will die, but we will not abandon this country. So in the church in Syria completely different than the church in America. They are truly poor. They, are, they can't get the best jobs. In fact, it's hard to get jobs. They are so ostracized because of their faith. I mean, when the Bible says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus suffer, I can tell you that the Syrians or a lot of people around the world for confessing Christ, they really do suffer a lot. <clears throat> but in that suffering, they've also been able to lead a lot of people to the Lord. 
And they stayed, and they continue to minister. We're sending in food parcels. We're sending in money. It's really hard to sneak that into a, bombs, uh, to a war zone, especially with Russia planes everywhere. We still do that. And, and years ago, our, guys got, our, our ministry workers understood that evangelism is about love. And so they were starting to take these little food parcels that we were getting smuggling in there to get to them. And one guy in particular took his food and he actually divided it and he took it to one of the local imams whose home had been hit by a bomb, but he and his wife were still living there. And he takes this food parcel up to him and the wife was there and he apologized and walked away because in Syria, a man cannot approach, a married woman can't approach a woman, really, it's, it's illegal. So as he's walking away, one of the imams actually, the imam actually found him and said, hey, brother, what are you doing? And he says, you know, I'm bringing you some food and hands him the food. And, he, and that, that's really bizarre in that situation. He's like, what are you doing giving me food? You need this. And he goes, no, it's a gift. It's a gift from Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, the, the prophet? He goes, yeah, Jesus, a prophet. And he invited him in his home and he was, and the man and our ministry worker led him to the Lord. And today this imam, former imam, is now running an underground sem- a seminary in Syria. And that's because people stayed. And that's why we go, because we don't look at the danger. We don't look at the rejection. We don't look at the hate. We look at the hope. And if it were me that were born into the wrong family at the wrong time, and I had become an imam because I didn't know anything else, I am praying that one of you would rise up because you are compelled with the love of Jesus to help me enter into freedom, and that you would come to a nation that maybe I didn't even like you at the first. But that's what we're called to do. If I could get into you about Burma, and I don't have time for that, or northern Nigeria, I, just, I would cause you guys to weep if I told you some of the stories. If, if those things weren't enough to keep me busy, Afghanistan opened its eyes and it became a worst-case scenario. I've seen a lot of ugliness, and I have never seen anything worse in Afghanistan. But let's get into Scripture. I want to read this before I finish up on Afghanistan. In Luke chapter 19, this is really important to me. Because it's Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. It's his last and final approach to Jerusalem. He knows that he is going there, and the very disciples that he's traveling with are going to be the ones, his own brothers, that are going to actually reject him. And then he's going to be turned over to people that aren't even his people, and he is going to be, he is going to be tortured. It is going to be horrible what happens to Jesus, and then he is going to be killed, but he's going to rise again. And he is clear with that. If I knew, if the Holy Spirit had revealed to me that I'm heading over to some crazy place, and that is going to be my last place, I got to tell you, I don't know if I have the clarity of mind to do what Jesus did. I'd be worried about myself. I'd be praying. I might be hanging out with family. It'd be all about me. I don't know. I, I'm just, a, I'm confessing that. I hope it's not true. But this is why I love Jesus. The clarity of mind that Jesus brings to the situation on his way to his own death is amazing to me. So let's read this. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And as they heard these things, who? The disciples. He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near, near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. So it's about a pound of silver he gives to each one of his servants, which is a lot of money back then. He gives them a pound of service, and he says to them, engage in business. My favorite translation says, occupy. Occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, 
he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, listen to this, well done, good servant, because cause and effect. I don't have time for this. I'm going to give this over to the pastor and I'm going to probably, somebody else will throw in something else at me for this one. Salvation is a free gift from God. But body of Christ in scripture, what drives me is the love of Christ, not because I'm, I'm trying to pursue the gifts. I am pursuing a God who loves me, but the gifts of heaven are earned. And that is so, so difficult for me as a Calvary Chapel guy because I am so filled with the grace and mercy of God. But if you look at Scripture, it says in my kingdom there are many mansions. I have to ask that. If we, and the Bible tells us that it's by our works, it's by our good fruit, it's by all this incredible things that we're called to that we are going to actually get in heaven. And there are, there are gifts, there are things that God is going to give us. And body of Christ, I want to make you jealous for this. I want everybody in here to be jealous. Not, not that you're pursuing God for the gifts, but be just jealous that the intimate personal relationship that you can have with God can be so earth-changing that you can stand before the congregation like me, unqualified to speak to you, but I have tasted the things of Christ and I am compelled to go. And I pray you guys do the same thing. I want to make you jealous for this stuff in a good way. I want you pursuing God with everything because you have been faithful and very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. That is just mind-boggling. If you're just faithful with this sack of money, if you're just faithful with what I put in front of you, he, he takes them from faithfulness with one sack of money and he gives them authority over 10 cities. Imagine that. I mean, that is an amazing thing. You've got to be faithful where you are and more responsibility is given. I'll let you guys wrestle with that. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Did you not put the money in the bank? Why didn't you just, at least the gift I had entrusted you to, if you were afraid to deal with that, why didn't you at least entrust it to somebody else that could do something with it, even if it didn't give the return that your other brother did? Body of Christ, I want to encourage you. In our life, the gifts and the time and the opportunities that God has given us, he is not going to take the explanation. He is a loving, merciful God. But when we stand before him, it's not going to work out as, Lord, I did no. Body of Christ, we are all called because God wants to use us, and I'll explain why in a moment here. <sighs> why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more promise will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, this is Jesus on his own way to his final destination before he is resurrected. He's on his way to his death and suffering, and he has the clarity of the Spirit 
to, to tell the disciples, and I believe that he's actually instructing me, and I'm going to be as bold as this, and he's instructing every one of you that confess Jesus as Lord. He's instructing us to occupy. He is instructing us clearly to occupy until he comes again. Scripture tells me that there's going to be seasons that are going to tell me, tell us, that the end is coming. There's going to be things that are unraveling, and I'm traveling all over the world, and I can tell you I have never seen it more obvious that the, the end has to be here. But I don't know. The Lord might in his mercy. I don't have full clarity. The Lord in his mercy might give us another thousand years. I don't know what that is. But as we see the signs, it is never time for us to retreat into our own little bubble, this little Christian bubble. As we see the t- that, that day approaching, it should actually inspire us even more to get out there and occupy until he comes. Why? Because your life matters to God. See, Jesus said, and greater things than these shall you do. And as I told them in yesterday, I'm not here to debate if that includes turning water from the wine or raising Lazarus. I, I'm, not, I'm not even here to debate all that. I think that might have something to do with it. But the one area that I can, I can stand on this morning with absolute conviction is for God so loved the world that if we, are to, if we are to do greater things than that Jesus did is that he has called us in the 21st century on today's date to, to love this world the same way that Jesus loved it. Because Jesus' spirit fills the entire universe. There is nowhere we can go from that. But physically, he sent us. And as I look in Scripture... I don't get an excuse out because I know in Scripture that God has used a burning bush and he used a donkey and he used some other situations, but what does he use all the other times, both for good and for bad examples of life? Us. God chose to use his children to finish what he accomplished on the cross and the resurrection. That is our calling. God expects us, hear me, body of Christ, and I know you guys are this. I'm, I, some of this is for 99% of you is just reconfirming of what this church is already about. What is the DNA of this church? So if I can just encourage you that you're on the right step, great. But for that 1% of you that this is kind of a new message, I want to encourage you with this, is that God fully expects you. He fully expects me. He fully expects us collectively to go into this world and bear good fruit. The Bible talks about bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. But what about no fruit? In my personal opinion, I don't want to wrestle with God that way. I don't want to say, well, God, it's, you know, it's no fruit. Because the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be bearing good fruit. Body of Christ, we are called to bear good fruit. And your fruit is different. My fruit in Afghanistan is no more important than when you love your neighbor who is wrestling through cancer. Or you walk with your child who just went through a heart-wrenching experience with the the death of a child or a, a tragic divorce where betrayal and hurt. When we just love on people with the same relentless love that Christ gave us, you are like Christ in this 21st century. My representation of Christ is to be here to love on you with expecting nothing from you in return, to encourage you to go out and do the same thing. We are called to be doers of the word. And this is what I challenged the men with yesterday. It didn't come out as clear as I was hoping, but we are called to be doers, not just hearers and studiers and regurgitators. We are called to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Ready for this? Deceiving ourselves. And I've gone through seasons where I know I deceived myself. We're going to watch a video. I'm going to cue that up, and I lost complete time of when I'm supposed to end, so I'm going to try to 
the pastor will do this for me. I want to watch a video, and we're going to cue this up, and as I'm looking around, there are some young people in here. I think we can handle it. I, um, this is a, we're going to watch it in a couple minutes after I kind of say some, uh, another thing here, but this was a video that I almost didn't show. You would be the only people that have been able to see this yet. When, we, uh, when Afghanistan happened, we pulled together a lot of our friends, SEALs and people from the, um, from the intelligence community, and we met and we did some wartime planning to figure out what we were going to do to get Christians out of Afghanistan. Because I have 22 team members in there, plus their family members, over 200. And then because of our background, we started getting calls from all kinds of people. From YWAM, we were able to rescue their country director that was, uh, the Taliban was banging on doors looking for him. And we got there two hours before the Taliban hit the house he was in, and we were able to get into another safe house. We were able to work with Heather Mercer's team. If any of you remember her, she was the U.S. missionary that was uh, taken hostage by the Taliban back at the beginning of all this. And, and then she was set free after a long ordeal. Well, she left the country because that wasn't it, but she continued to work ministry there. And she, we got a call and said, help, they're looking for 28 of my people. And we were able to grab them and get them to another city. Just a lot of great things that God could do. But this video is going to be a little bit tough. Um, I actually had them take out some of the footage we have because it's way too rough. I want to give you this cue up because if you're sensitive, please, you can hear the message and you don't have to watch the whole thing. It's mostly good. It's about PG-13 right now and versus what it was a little bit before, a little bit to go. I'm giving you a lot on that because it is going to be a little bit shocking for some of you. Afghanistan, again, it was a worst-case scenario for everybody there, but especially Christians. The U.S. was there for 20 years, and it fell in 10 days after they had spent trillions of dollars, and they left behind hundreds of billions of dollars at advanced technology. The Taliban now is the most highly funded and, and highly militarized terrorist organization that has ever existed on this planet. They have the technology now that they can shoot down airliners over other, other countries. Um, I have some friends that I, and I, I was really brokenhearted about it because I got to actually see the list of all the things that were there because I have friends. And then I had another friend that actually was able to tell me that his buddies got into the Blackhawks and destroyed them. They'll never be able to fly them, although China and Russia can get a hold of them now and look at our technology. They will never lift off the ground. So I'm happy about that. But when all that happened, it was pretty tough. There are hundreds of Americans, um, North Americans still hiding in there. And it's not that they don't want to get out. In fact, one lady we have in hiding, um, she's an American, and she didn't want to leave. Not because she didn't want to leave, is that she went over there and she was taking care of orphans. Where parents had been killed by the Taliban, she had 19 orphans, strong Christian woman. And so she knew that if she left, even though she could leave and she needed to leave, those 19 children would be left over to the Taliban and the worst thing that you can ever imagine would happen to them. And she said, I can't, even if it costs me my own life. Just amazing stuff that's going on. But there are, there are organizations still trying to get out Americans. And then there are these things called SIVs, but those are the people, that, the, the Afghanistan people who actually supported North, American, North America during the, the time we were there. There's thousands of those still trying to get out, and we're working with a couple of them, too, that uh, we've had some other organizations ask us to work with because of our relationships with the CIA. But there is one small group of people that is on nobody's list, and that is the, the group of Christians that are still in Afghanistan. And there's a couple thousand of them, and, and they didn't make anybody's list. They, we just can't get them over there. We thought originally that we could get in there, and we'd be able to get them all, and we'd be able to sneak them across the border into Tajikistan, maybe Pakistan, you know, even into China. There's, it's just surrounded by a bunch of countries. 
But because of our connections, we found out quickly, if we did that, then our own government could come back at us for human trafficking. And so we had to do this right. We had to start trying to figure out how to get them to another country with, with passports and visas. And, oh, this has been the most difficult thing that I have ever done in my entire life. I have two staff members that are completely burnt out. Uh, I mean, completely burnt out because of what they're dealing with 24 hours a day. So be, be, please be praying for us. But I'd love to watch this video right now. And again, it's going to be a little bit tough. Look away. Don't be afraid to do that. But I want to take you straight to Afghanistan. And this is the PG version of something that is a thousand times worse. Those words that you heard were actually from uh, when we pulled everybody into our office. That was actually from one of uh, a former Special Forces guy, now part of the intelligence community. Those uh, 13 Marines that were killed were actually his friends, and, and several of those Marines were up there actually looking for my people. This guy's about six foot four. It's just anything you would think of an American special forces. Got the long hair, the beard, pure muscle. And when he started to weep at the very end, Tom had uh, written down those words and created that video with his words. But when you see a big man like that saying, it's only the church that has an answer for this. I can't help but come and remind you that if somebody in special forces who has seen the worst of humanity can have the clarity of mind in that situation with... <laughs> Tears running down his face. I don't know why I do this every time in this kind of part here, because it is hard. If you can have that clarity, how much more clarity can we have about living our life out in a way that matters because people who are suffering less still need that same love of a Savior to show up in their situation. And that's why God sent you here. There's some important verse that is, is on my mind with thousands of people, thousands of Christians just there. I could tell you what just happened in Central America. I just had to release almost $50,000 because... The cartel down in South America, I didn't even know about this, we're very involved in, in very dangerous countries down there, but in the midst of this, I get a call from a, a guy that is uh, just becoming an amazing brother, um, and he actually, the police took him into a place, and they had taken three young children, and I told the men this yesterday, and he got there when they were still warm, but they take these little children, three years old, five years old, and they take their organs and sell them to wealthy people from Asia who believe superstitiously that if they eat a child's organ, it's going to help their lives live longer. I can't put that down in the midst of this. It's my job. And I'm going slow right now because I'm trying not to break down because it gets heavy. But I can't stop because of this. I'm sorry, Pastor. If you falter in your time of trouble... How small is your strength? Rescue those. It's very clear. Being led away to death. Hold nothing back. Hold, excuse me. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. But if you say, we did not know about this, does not he, God, who weighs the heart, perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? 
will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? That verse drives us. Because God tells us, if he makes something clear to us, he expects us to do something about it, even if it's bigger than us, our ministry. I'm not putting anything on you. This is your wrestle before the Lord. I wish I could get into these stories and share more about what happened with the, the country director with YWAM and just how amazing that is, or, or Heather Mercer, or, or Shannon Spann. Some of you probably don't recognize that name, but the first CIA agent killed in Afghanistan, U.S. Uh, CIA agent, was a guy named Mike Spann. If you saw the movie 12 Strong about the horses, the very first group of special forces that went in there, if you haven't, it's worth watching. It's, you know, it's not a Christian movie. But Mike Spann was the first CIA agent killed in there, but Mike Spann was an incredibly strong Christian, and so was Shannon Spann. They actually met at the farm or in Langley or uh, in uh, Quantico and uh, just loved Jesus, and they went out and served. And all these years later, she has stayed in contact with all the people that loved her husband over there because he had a lot of friends that were Afghanistan. And when all that blew up in our face, she had reached out to everybody she knew in the CIA, because she was CIA, she's retired now, um, CIA and the intelligence community, and nobody could do anything because the state, U.S. State Department had shut everything down and got a hold of somebody and said, you need to talk to far-reaching ministries and got a hold of us, and we are actually now working with this. You have no idea what God is going to do. I wish I could tell you story after story to encourage you, but just let me encourage you one thing is God is moving in ways that are so big, but if you want to see God showing up in ways that are super big, you've got to put yourself into situations that you can't do on your own. What if we were born in the wrong country? What if you were? What if you were? It's by the grace of God we're here, not for my rights, but to be able to use the freedom I've been given in North America, even though that freedom's being taken away, I still have more freedom than most of this world. And that freedom isn't for my own pleasure. That freedom is so that I have the freedom to go and love on people with the relentless love of Christ Jesus. What if that were my daughter or my wife or your daughter or your wife? Like one of the people, this is heartbreaking, this is going to be hard, this is the, probably the roughest thing I'm going to say. One of the guys that we are working with right now was a Christian. The Taliban got the family, two daughters, high, uh, teenage daughters and the wife, tied him up with duct tape, taped to a chair, violated his wife and daughters in front of him, entire group, and then killed them and made him stay there for 11 days as their bodies decayed. How do you overcome that? with love. We're going to walk with that man and support him, and we are going to try to rescue as many other people as possible. But if that situation were me, if I were tied up, I'd cry out. No, I wouldn't cry out. I would scream out for God to bring me some rescue. And I am praying that we are the answer to suffering people's prayers. And body of Christ, I'm over there, but I represent you. Just like here, you represent me. You represent all the Christian body to this community, and I'm representing you over there. So we're in this together. But one thing that Wes says, and I'm so thankful for it, he said, Edward, we will not leave a brother or sister behind, period. I wish I could get into Oscar Schindler's story, but if a man like that who can save 1,200 Jews just for compassion only, how much more should Christians, because it's not just about compassion, it's about their eternity. 
We show compassion. We want to lead people into an eternity that we have been able to experience where there's no more pain, no more suffering. That is the message we have. As of today, you heard in there, we have 100 safe. We have over 200 safe. We have another 1,000 in the pipeline. I got to tell you, I wasn't prepared for this either, but one of our board members is retired FBI. He used to be really high up. I can't get into all his details for that reason, but he is now flying to his 13th country. He's going to be gone until January. He's going to miss the holidays because he is just driven. We got to find a president to open up a country so these people can come in. We had South Sudan. That president of that country signed something for us to bring it in, but we can't bring people from Afghanistan to South Sudan. It's going from the fire into the volcano or from the volcano to the fire. And so we're flying around talking to all these countries. I can't tell you who they are because every time we, it gets out there, then all of a sudden it's almost like the world descends on that country. Um, and we've, lot, we've had some countries shut down because all of a sudden a thousand different people are trying to get a hold of them to open that up. But please be praying. When we got into this one, we did not have this budgeted. It was not budgeted at all. We didn't say, okay, Lord, we're going to need $10 million for this. We were supporting our people. And when it exploded, I love Wes's heart. I mean, he could not sleep. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. I think he may have shared this with you, but it was 3 o'clock in the morning. The Lord told him, said, Wes, I've called you to this, but I, and it's a 2,000-piece puzzle, but I'm only going to give you one piece of the puzzle at a time, and you're going to have to trust me. And he knew it was the voice of the Lord. We get up the next day, and we got a call from one of our major donors, and he said, I, this whole Afghanistan thing, the Lord is just moving me. I want to give you $400,000. Well, we were told that our first phase was going to cost us three hundred fifty-one. We lifted up our hands and celebrated, and we said, let's go, and we ordered planes to drop in a, a team of special forces to try to look for rat lines to get people out. That didn't work, but we were trying to do all these things. Little did we know that we were wrong about 351000 The first phase of just getting out the the first 200 people, because we have to work with mercenaries, it's incredibly dangerous. They're starving. We got to sneak food to them while we have them in hiding, and that costs us $3,000 just for the delivery. It's not like using Lyft over here. It's pretty dangerous. They're dealing with guns and stuff like that. But when, when all that happened, and we spent $1.5 million to do that so far, we know that the phase two, which we're involved in right now, is going to cost us about 2 to $3 million, but the Lord's been faithful. We're not going to back down. And now relocating people, whether that, I can't say the countries, but whether we, wherever we relocate them, imagine me relocating you to Asia or to South America or something. You're going to have to learn the language. What about a house? What about school? What about, I mean, those are all things we have to do. We can't just drop a thousand Christians there and say, God bless you. We'll show up next Easter. You can't, it doesn't work that way. We got to walk with them for a while. But I love Wes's heart. I didn't even do this, but he took the, the original amount of 1.5 million that we spent. This just, he said this a couple weeks ago. And he, he took out his calculator and he goes, oh, that's only $7,400 a life. We've been able to save a Christian for $7,400. I love this attitude. And he looked up to heaven. He goes, Father, we'll take them all. That's the boldness we need to have. I'm thinking, God, we don't have this money. I know you made promises. And Wes is going, God, we'll take them all. Whatever that's going to cost, you're going to do it. We're going to go. I'm just so thankful to be part of what, I, what I'm part of. And we're, we, we are going to need your help. But I want to say something. And, and I went way over. So... I told the pastor, I talked to him earlier about this. You guys are one of the kindest group of people I met. You men yesterday, you really encouraged me. I got more out of yesterday than you. You guys were just, your responsiveness was amazing. It really was amazing. And I have a feeling you guys are moved by this message and you're going to want to do something. But hear me on this one. Well, I didn't come to hurt this church. 
what happens is that a lot of times we move by something and we don't, we, we don't take extra money. We, we take what, we, it's called replacement theology. We take what we were given to the church and give over here, but here's the reality is I don't want to hurt this church because the money needs to be here. In fact, I believe personally on a church, I'm a really practical guy. Around Calvary, we don't talk about money very often, so please forgive me. I didn't go through the Bible college. I was a business guy. I'm just really practical. I'm a spirit man, but I'm practical. So I'm going to say some things you probably haven't heard before. When I first got saved, Mike McIntosh, I went to Horizon in San Diego, if any of you guys know him. And I didn't want to get close to Pastor Mike because I was so embarrassed of my past. I thought he was so spiritual that if I got close to him, he could read my mind and he'd know who I was and I was too embarrassed. And you find out kind of quickly, and it only took me about a year to figure it out, he's just a man just like your pastor and me. He doesn't have that spiritual discernment. He can't tell all my dark corners. He couldn't do anything. The other thing I thought, and I, was a, I had a family. I went to work because money doesn't go roll on a tree in my backyard. And I went to work. But in church, I just kind of thought, if God's behind something, that just shows up. It's pretty ignorant. But the honest fact is, is that most churches that I deal with, I've spoken at over 450 Calvary chapels across the globe. The vast majority of them barely are holding together financially. There is no tree. And I wanna, that's why I don't want you to give to us to hurt this church. Your first place of responsibility is here, both serving as well as giving. I believe that you guys need to not just have money in the bank, but you need to have money in the bank for the next emergency. I'd love for you guys to have a million dollars in the bank. And if Russia explodes, you're one of the first churches in America that can actually respond to it because you, God has given you resources and you have been responsible with it because the world's going to explode. And I do believe that if the Lord tarries, we need another revival or we're toast. I do not believe that another revival will come to this country out of a mega church. I believe it's going to come out of a group of, a small group of people who walk their faith out seriously and God can look at them and say, I deem you responsible to whom I've just given something else. I'm now giving you more. I believe that a revival should, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I think it should come out of a small church so that no mega church can take glory for it. Because nobody deserves God's glory but you. If you are being faithful here, listen, the Bible tells me that this is your Jerusalem. We're first called to our Jerusalem, but then we are called to the uttermost parts of the world. And I want to make you jealous to bear good fruit. I want you to be part of something. I am not here for money. I didn't, I, I, I told the pastor, I don't even want an honorarium. I'm not here for me, so I have integrity. But if you are, if you have that ability, trust me on this one. I would rather you invest in what we're going on in Afghanistan. I have some dossiers over there if you're interested. 100% of anything that you give to this will actually go to that. I love Wes's heart. even called me from Europe and said, don't forget potatoes for grandmothers because the Bible says undefiled religion is this, is caring for those who can't care for themselves, widows and orphans in their need. We have thousands of people in former Soviet countries that starve when you go in, and I'll be over there in a couple weeks, when you go in their home and they have nothing in their refrigerator except for maybe a, a half of a fish dried. It's the craziest thing, but we're bringing the love of Jesus. We've seen thousands of people from former Soviet Union come to the Lord. If you're interested in that, I even have some chaplains, but here's my heart on this one. Only give according to what you can give. We don't want this to be a burden on anybody. If you're going to give, this is your first place. If you can give extra, we usually have about four or five families to take care of somebody. Some of you can do more. Some of you need to do less. What I know is if some of you can do more and if some of you do a widow's mite, God just does all that together. So don't worry about that. Just make sure you're being obedient here. And then beyond that, test the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. He does great and mighty things. 
I know that sounds very self-serving and I hate to talk about money when I used to sit there, but what the Lord is asking me to do is to be honest about things, the things that we don't want to talk about. And guess what? The Bible talks more about your relationship to money than almost anything else. In fact, some pastors have even corrected me on that. It says, no, it talks more about money than everything else. I don't know about that. I haven't counted those. But body of Christ, it's not you knowing the word. It's what you do with what you know about the word that is going to glorify your Jesus. And your kids are not looking for you to be perfect, but they are looking for what you say to reflect what you do. I am so honored to stand here before you. I'll be over there. I got to catch a, a, a ferry pretty soon, but I'd love to talk to you guys for a couple minutes if possible. I won't have much time for that, but to stand here is one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to bring what God is doing all over the world to you. Pastor. Pastor.